If you're a first or second time guest with us this morning or watching us on Facebook, we're really glad that you're here and watching. Today is part four of our series uh, for Christmas called An Unexpected Christmas. We hope that you're blessed by being with us today, but most of all that you're transformed by being in the presence of God. Uh, as we continue our series on Matthew's genealogy of Jesus, we've been looking at how the four Gospels start out the story of Jesus, and Matthew started it out in a way that none of the other Gospel writers did. He started it out by listing Jesus' family tree. And in that family tree, G Matthew points out some very creepy people that he could have just skipped over. And Matthew's point of mentioning these shady characters is this. We all need the grace, mercy, and forgiveness of God. We all need the grace, mercy, and forgiveness of God. That's the point of the Christmas story. And here's my point in what God's been speaking to me. Once we receive that from God, we need to share that same grace, mercy, and forgiveness with other people. Are you hearing me? That is the point of you being in Jesus' family tree, right? So I think, that, I think the video series that we've been watching, Velma's Diner, it gives us a lot of insight into how we're supposed to treat others or how we treat others sometimes, even badly, even as Christians. So we're going to see now and we're going to get an update where Velma is on preparing for her own Christmas pageant by normal people, by the way. Previously on Velma's. We'll show that fact the Grace Memorial Church. We'll serve up Christmas Velma style, served with a smile. Now, I'm still uh, waiting for the good Lord to bring my Mary along. Hey there, darling. Can I get you anything else? Some more coffee? It's not good for my baby. Oh, you're pregnant. How nice. <laughs> She's perfect. Perfectly wrong. What do you mean? Mary's got to be special and better than everyone else. Ma, don't you sound just like you're from the Fountain of Grace Memorial Church? This is different, and she's not the right girl. You mean the right kind of girl, don't you? You're 20 years old, aren't you, Mary Catherine, fiancé of G.I. Joseph? Yeah, how'd you know? I have a sense about these things. My mama, she had a sense about her. I think it was Lysol. You're going to be my Mary in our little nativity scene tomorrow night. for Mary. I tell you what, I think tonight's going to be better than I ever dreamed. Buddy, what are you doing with all that stuff? Oh, you know, well, with it being Christmas Eve and all, I'm, I'm going to build a Santa trap. You, you see, every year, the day after Christmas, I go back to the storeroom and there's a brand new apron hanging there with a crisp $50 bill in the pocket. <laughs> and this year, I'm going to catch him. And then what? I ain't got that far. You know, buddy, there are some mysteries in life best unsolved. Well, if that was true, then they wouldn't have that unsolved mystery show, would they? <laughs> well, you got me there, buddy. You got me there. Excuse me, miss. Oh, yes. Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> um, that woman who just went to the back back there, yeah. her name wouldn't be Valerie by any chance, would it? Who, Velma? 
Is Velma's name Valerie? Well, obviously not. <laughs> so her name's Velma? Always has been. Uh, and she's from around here. Are you writing a book, mister? No, I, I'm sorry. Look, I, I just thought she was somebody that I knew from a long time ago. And I, well, since she's from around here, it's not possible that she's that person. Um, this woman owe you money or something? No, no, no. Nothing like that. <gasps> she's an old flame, isn't she? <laughs> and and you, you carry this torch for all these years? Well, something like that. She's an old girlfriend that left without a word. Oh, and you've been pining away ever since. Oh, how romantic. Mm, no, it's not that romantic. And not that it's any of your business, but she was pregnant when she left. I've always wondered what happened to my child. But hey, obviously it's not your Velma, right? Because she's from around here. Well, now, who said she's from around here? Nadine. What? Henry, we've always said that Velma's had a mysterious past. So she's not from around here. Well, she is and she ain't. How long have you been looking for this woman? Well, I gave up looking a while back, but I'd say maybe 25 years. Well, hold on. Did you just say 25 years? Yes. I mean, why? Why did? How long has she lived here? Well, it's kind of hard to say exactly. But I would guess uh, about 25 years. That cat is a sweetheart. Oh, hello there. Welcome to Velma's. <laughs> hello, Valerie. It's been a long time. So tell me. Do I have a son or a daughter? That was Go Tell It on the Mountain. And speaking of which, I'm telling you, you better get on over to the community center and let Velma serve you up some Christmas spirit. I promise you, you don't want to miss it. Well, clearly she does. Come on, Velma, where are you? Any sign of her yet? No, not hiding her hair. Oh. Yeah, let me tell you, that's a lot of hair to hide. Oh, come on now, Henry. <laughs> this is no time for joking. Uh, calm down, Nadine. She'll turn up. I don't know, Henry. She was real upset this morning. Yeah, I went by her trailer and it was all dark and all her garden gnomes were gone. Well, you don't think she'd leave without saying goodbye, do you? You know she wouldn't. Besides, she never leaves town without putting butter here in the kennel. Oh, Henry. <laughs> oh, Henry, let me ask you something. How long have you known my mom and daddy? I don't know. Um, since you were a little girl, I guess. But you didn't know them before I was born, did you? No, nah, I don't guess so. Um, why? It's nothing important. Well, I sure hope she shows up soon. In a few minutes, we're going to have a whole bunch of people ready for a Velma-style Christmas. So. Valerie. What? Well, I understand her name is Valerie. Okay, okay. I'm confused. I mean, why would Velma change her name to Valerie when everything around here already says Velma? No, honey. She, she changed her name from Valerie... To Velma. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm glad she finally came to her senses. Well, I think uh, Velma not being here is uh, probably the least of my worries. What do you know that you're not telling me, Henry? Well, I stopped by the firehouse to see if they've seen Velma. And, well, uh, they're all out on a big fire two counties away. What? No! But th those are our wise men! How can they come from afar if they're out fighting afar? Oh. Well, at least we'll have music. Well, I sure am glad to see you, Sonny. Oh, one more thing. Um, Bill Robinson came down with walking pneumonia, and the doctor sent him to bed. Uh, wait, if, if he had to go to bed, then why do they call it the walking pneumonia? Great! First no wise men, now no Joseph. So that leaves us with a Mary, an angel, some shepherds, and a whole bunch of animals. Oh, uh, I forgot to tell you something. What is it, buddy? It, it looks like a spoon. What? what did you forget to tell me? Um, 
Uh, I, I, I left the gate open last night and all the animals run off. Perfect. No wonder Velma left. I give up. Hey, Nadine, where's Velma? Miami Beach, if she's got any sense. Well, she never told us what carols to play. We don't have a Velma. We don't have any wise men. We don't have any animals. And we don't have a Joseph, so I guess you're about right. In fact, I'd say you're just right. Um... Hey, Sonny, how tall are you? Uh, about six foot. Boy, it doesn't matter. You'll do. Henry, go take him out back and show him Joseph's house coat of many colors. And that's a different Joseph, Nadine? Do I look like I need a Sunday school lesson right now, Henry? Uh, let, let's go, Sonny. Just go. Oh, we got a little less than two hours, and we may just pull this thing off after all. Hey, buddy, go get me a whole bunch of animals. I don't care what they are. Just go. Is that a fire truck? No, it's, it's a bus with big old sideburns oh. on the side. What? That boy has lost his... <gasps> it's Elvis. Oh, hey, darling. Uh, listen, my cell phone's busted. You got a phone I can borrow? Sure. <clears throat> Here you go. <laughs> oh, and um, do you have the time? Huh. Well, usually for Elvis, I'd make the time, but I'm a little busy right now, honey. <laughs> Actually, I mean, uh, what time is it? Oh, it, uh, it's 6.15. Thank you. Thank you very much. Hey, darling, listen. <clears throat> Me and the boys, there's no way we're going to make it home tonight. I think what we'll do is just park here, head on out in the morning. Okay, you too. All right, bye-bye. Merry Christmas. You're an Elvis impersonator, aren't you? Henry, you're brighter than a three-way bulb. Well, yes, I am. As a matter of fact, I'm one of three Elvises. We like to call ourselves, um, with three hangs. Avoiding <laughs> our bearing gifts, we travel That boy's not right, is he? <laughs> Wait just a second. Say that last part again. Um, with three hangs. <laughs> Do you believe in miracles, Elvis? All right, you'll have to join us next week for the final part of Elma's Diner. You don't want to miss that. For today, I want to talk about one particular character. And once I say his name, everyone will know who it is. And most will know his story because he was the most connected. He was the most connected person to Jesus' story. And when Matthew gets to this guy, instead of pointing out some of the wonderful things that this guy had done, Matthew slams on the break, at brakes and forces everyone who's reading his gospel to think about what this character would not want you to think of him. Matthew reminds us that even though this man is one of the most significant people in Jesus' story, when it came to this man's personal life, his morality, his character, and his ethics, he was, at least at one part of his life, an incredible failure. An incredible failure. So I was just wondering if maybe this Christmas or if at any time in your life you've ever felt like an incredible failure. You may not know this part of his story, but this guy, out of insecurity and fear, told one lie. And as a result of this one lie, 85 priests were murdered. I wonder if we've forgotten today how destructive lies are. 
This guy betrayed his most loyal friend to the point that he had him put to death in order to cover his secret. This is a guy who cheated on his wife, destroyed his family. There were so many embarrassing moments in his life, and yet this is the man who's the most connected with the Savior of the world. Are you hearing me? You can be, you can have so many embarrassing moments in your life, decisions and choices that you made, and yet you can still be connected to the Savior of the world. Who are we talking about? David, right. Matthew 1.1, where we've been reading the genealogy of Jesus, actually begins with this statement before he even goes into the, the list of the people in Jesus' family tree. This is the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, and he mentions David. David did things that you will never do in your lifetime, at least I hope. And yet Matthew, even before he begins to tell the family tree, he mentions that Jesus the Messiah was the son of David. Now, we know, and Matthew knows, that Jesus is not actually the son of David. He's actually the great, 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 great grandson of David. But right off the top, listen to how Matthew positions David in the genealogy, beginning with verse 5. We, you'll, some of these characters we've already talked about. Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Remember Rahab? Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth, and Obed, the father of Jesse. And Jesse, the father of King David. So he could have ended right there, right? And who said he was the father of so-and-so and the father. But no, he says, the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. Now, Matthew, why not just say David was the father of Solomon, Solomon was the father of, and who was the father of, and who was the father of? But no, Matthew pauses and throws that one line in there that everybody knew what he was talking about, his Jewish audience knew, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. Now, Matthew, if you're going to pause, why not say something like David the builder, or David the psalmist, or David the warrior? I mean, David is the name that the Jews, his audience, is looking for to attach to Jesus to find out if Jesus really is the Messiah. And here Matthew is pointing out a bad side of David. Why would Matthew point out one of David's biggest failures? Because it's the point of the gospel message. It's the point of Christmas. He reminds us that this man, the focal point of the kingdom of Israel, he reminds us that David was also a sinner. He was a failure big time as a leader, big time as a friend, and as a father, and as a husband. Like I said, you probably won't fail in all of those areas. David did. So I just want to share with you real quick David's story in case you don't know it. If you have your Bibles with you, you can turn to 2 Samuel chapter 7. All the scripture will be on the screen. If you want to follow along in a black Bible under the chair in front of you, it's page 301. 2 Samuel chapter 7. We're going to get there in a minute. While you're turning there, we're going to catch you up on what has been happening so far. Here is the story of David. The story of David takes place a thousand years before the birth of Jesus. And here's what happens. There's a prophet named Samuel. And God nudges Samuel and tells him that I want you to go find a new king over Israel. And that this king is going to be a child king. He's going to be really young. So God sends Samuel to the little town that is Bethlehem. It happens to be the town where Jesse 
and eight of his sons live. So Samuel goes and searches out the home of Jesse, not by accident, but because God, excuse me, sent him there. He goes to the home of Jesse, and he asks Jesse to bring his eight sons into the living room. I don't know if they had living rooms back then, but you know what I mean. Bring them into a room. And he said, because I have a special message for one of your sons. Jesse only calls in seven of his sons because his youngest son is out taking care of the sheep. The Bible tells us that Samuel looks at the oldest son and he actually thinks to himself, this one has to be the king. I mean, look at this guy. He just looks like a king. He's tall. He's handsome. He's muscular. He's got the looks of a king. But you know what? God nudges him on the inside and he says, nope, he's not the one. And God actually, the Bible goes on to say, God actually says, and this is so huge for us, I don't look at the things that people look at. Samuel goes on to number two son. Yeah, you know, the second born. The one that gets all the spunkiness in the family. God says, nope. So Samuel moves on to the third son. You know, the one who learns from the other ones what not to do. And God says, nope, he's not the one. He moves on to the fourth one, the fifth one, and he goes through all seven sons, and he doesn't feel like any of them is to be the king. And now he's confused. He's wondering if he picked the wrong family. So he decides to just ask on a whim. So Jesse, you wouldn't happen to have any other sons hidden in a closet or the basement, would you? And Jesse says, well, yeah, I guess. There is, I mean, there's David, but... He's out in the pasture. I mean, I really didn't think. And Samuel quickly interrupts Jesse and says, you know what? We're just going to sit here and we're going to wait until David return, until this boy returns. So sometime later, I want you to picture this. I want you to go there. The youngest boy walks into the room. David walks in the room from being out into the field with the, you know, you heard about the poop today, you know, the sheep, the stinky sheep fighting off animals, perhaps sleeping in the grass, sleeping on rocks. He's sweaty. He smells, his nose is running, his hair is all messed up. He smells like sheep. And you know what? God nudges Samuel and says, there's your king. So Samuel says, okay, whatever, you, whatever you say, God. So Samuel has a little ceremony, and he anoints David with oil. And he tells little David that he's going to be the next king of Israel. Of course, David doesn't know what that means, right? So he just blows his nose and he runs back out in the field and starts tending sheep again. He goes back to being a kid again. Years go by, and through a very dramatic and incredible series of events that you have to read, little David, the shepherd boy, the runny nose, messed up hair kid with no muscles and no, no experience, becomes the second king of Israel. You're going to have to read it because we skipped over Goliath. So more years go by after he was anointed king, and he's in his palace walking around. Some of you know this story. He's walking around in his palace, and he looks out his window, and what does he see? What was that? No, where are your minds this morning? Come on. <laughs> Stick to the story, guys. Let's get back to the Bible. That, that's a different story. David looks out the window, and he sees a big, beautiful tent. That's the truth. Read the story. He looks at this tent, which is called the tabernacle, and it is, by the way, we're going to get to Bathsheba in a while, so you're not wrong. That was a setup. I set you up to look silly, but 
actually, you're right. He sees this huge tent, which is called the tabernacle. If you know anything about the tabernacle of God, this is where the presence of God resided in sort of a box. Okay? Now, they knew that God was bigger than the box, but it represented their focal point for their worship. Well, David looks at this tent. He looks at his palace, and he says, you know what? I live in this elaborate place. You know what? God should also have a big, beautiful, elaborate palace or a place to be worshipped at. He should not be placed in a tent. So David decides that he's going to build a temple to God. So he raises all the money and he puts things together to begin to build. And it was right at this point where he's getting excited about this building project that has not started yet, but he's raised all the money, has all the materials ready. It was right at this point that God sends another prophet, Nathan, into David's life with some good news and some not so good news. And that's where we're going to pick up the story in 2 Samuel chapter 7. We're going to begin with verse 8. Here we go. Verse 8, 2 Samuel 7. Now then, tell my servant David, this is God telling Nathan, tell my servant David, this is what the Lord Almighty says, I took you from the pasture, from tending the flock, and I appointed you ruler over my people Israel. I have been with you wherever you have gone, and I have cut off all your enemies from before you. Now I will make your name great, like the names of the greatest men on earth. Can you imagine getting a message like that from God? This is an amazing message that David just received. Let me ask you, how many of you, before you came to church this morning, already knew about King David? How many of you? Raise your hand. Already knew about King David. Look around. So I guess we can say that the promise from God came true. We're talking about him in 2018, right? That's the message today. God's promise came true. 3,000 years later, all over the world and in many languages and different nations, a lot of people know who King David was. That's amazing. God says, David, you're going to live among the greatest names that will ever live. And that's exactly what happened. Let me repeat that because it's going to be important as we go into David's life. That is exactly what happened to this runny-nosed, messed-up kid who turns into a really messed-up man. And yet God's promise still stayed true to him. Just like it will with you, even though you may sin. You hearing me? Verse 10. And I will provide a place for my people Israel and will plant them so that they can have a home for their own and no longer be disturbed. Wicked people will not oppress them anymore as they did at the beginning and have done ever since the time I appointed leaders over my people Israel. I will also give you rest from all your enemies. What a great promise. The Lord declares to you, David, that the Lord himself will establish a house for you. When your days are over and you rest with your ancestors, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, your own flesh and blood, and I will establish his kingdom. Now, here's an important piece. You won't build the table, uh, temple, David. He's going to build the house for my name. And I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father and he will be my son. When he does wrong, I will punish him with a rod wielded by men with floggings inflicted by human hands. But my love will never be taken away from him as I took it away from Saul, whom I removed from before you. Your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. Listen, 
What God just did is he gave David an unconditional promise. God says to him that he won't be the one to build the temple, but his name will live forever. And then four chapters later, four chapters later in 2 Samuel, David tests the patience of God in the most extreme ways imaginable. How many of you have ever felt like with your lifestyle, you're testing God? I mean, you're really pushing him to the limit. He's on the wall of his palace one night. Okay, so this is where you can catch up with me now, that those of you that I offended. He's on the wall of his palace one night, and he looks down, and he sees this woman, and her name is Bathsheba. And so he made a mistake. He made a mistake. So listen, looking is one thing, but when you start asking your friends what her name is, and you're trying to set up a meeting with her, don't go there. He's on the wall of his palace. He looks down and sees this woman and he calls his servant. And he says, who's that? The servant says, that's your, general's, that's your general Uriah's wife. And Uriah is out on the battlefield fighting for you. So David decides that he just wants to talk to her. Well, they do more than talk. And a few weeks later, she lets David know that she is pregnant with his child. So now David has a mess on his hands. By the way, Uriah is his best friend. So David calls for Uriah to come off the battlefield. So this is going to sound familiar, you know, when we try to cover up our sin. David calls for Uriah to come off the battlefield, and they have a meeting. And he tells Uriah to go home and spend some time with his wife, if you know what I mean. If you don't, talk to Angel afterwards. Because I ain't going to go there. He sends Uriah out the door, and the next morning, David is notified by one of his servants that Uriah never went home, that he slept at the palace. David asked him, Uriah, why didn't you go home? In other words, you're messing up my plan, dude, because if he sleeps with his wife, nobody will ever know whose baby it is, right? And Uriah was like, because he had such integrity, how can I enjoy the comfort of my home while my men are in the battlefield? So you know what David does? He goes to the next extreme, and he gets him good and drunk, and he tells him to go home again and spend time with his wife. And then he can return to his men the next day. Just one night. Don't feel guilty. David gets up and again he finds out that Uriah slept outside his door. Once again Uriah said, how can I go home when my men are sweating and bleeding and dying on the battlefield? So God must have been thinking at this point. Maybe God was saying, wait a minute. Maybe Uriah should be the man. David or Uriah? I think I'm going to make Uriah the king. After all, he's the only righteous one at this point. Can God change his mind? Yeah, he could. But God made an unconditional promise to David. And then David does something you cannot even imagine. It's the stuff you only see in a movie. David writes a message to Joab. Joab is the commander on the battlefield. And the message says this, and it's up on the screen. I want you, Joab, I, tomorrow in battle, I want you to put Uriah and his men front and center in the heat of the battle. I want you to withdraw everyone else from around them, and I want you to leave them completely exposed to the enemy. Joab probably knew what this letter meant. It was a death sentence for Uriah. But if you didn't obey the king back then, gone. So, David seals the note with his seal. And guess 
who he handed the letter to to deliver the letter. Well, Richard already put it up there. Work with me, Richard. He gives the letter to Uriah himself. How many of you want to be David's best friend? How low can you go? This is getting out of control, and this is what happens when you try to cover up your sin. Joab receives the message, and he obeys the king, and the next day, everything that David had commanded was executed. The Bible says that Uriah and his men put up an unbelievable fight without any help from their friends in battle. They pushed back the enemy. They actually did really good. They pushed back the enemy all the way to the wall of the city, and then all of a sudden, a lucky archer finally shot Uriah down. The message gets back to Bathsheba and David. Bathsheba mourns the loss of her husband, and then David marries her. And from David's mind, everything's fine now. His plan has worked. His sin has now been covered. But, watch how Richard works with me. God knew. God knew. And here's what the Bible tells us in 2 Samuel eleven twenty seven. After the time of mourning was over, David had her brought to his house, and she became his wife and bore him a son. But the thing David had done displeased the Lord. So now God has to decide. Do I keep my promise with this murderer? Do I keep my promise with this adulterer? Because he sinned, can I go back on my promise to him? So Nathan the prophet once again comes to David, and by the way, he confronts David. You know why he confronts David about his sin? Because he loves him, and he was called by God to confront it. So when anybody comes to you and confronts your sin, please don't say something stupid like, who are you to judge me? If it's somebody who is coming to you because they love you and they're trying to help you, tell them thank you. Go home and punch your punching bag. I don't know, punch your pillow. But... It's not judgment always. Nathan loves David, and he tells him, you've done evil, dude. And the Bible says that David went to the tabernacle because if you respond properly when somebody confronts you about your sin, you will fall down before the altar of God and confess your sin, and that's exactly what David did. He confessed his sin. Unlike Judah last week. Remember Judah, Joseph's brother? Joseph ne Judah never did that. But David did. He confessed his sin. And you can read it in Psalms 51. It is a psalm that he wrote as he recognized his sin. And in a very honest and real way, David repents. He didn't excuse or blame his sin on someone else like we do sometimes. He simply said, I screwed up and I beg you, God, for forgiveness. And God forgives David for his sins. Let me repeat that. And God forgave David of his sin. Boom. Gone. His slate has been wiped clean. That's how awesome God is. That's how exciting Christianity is. Your sins can be wiped clean. But God also decides to humble him, and he decides to punish him. And because sometimes our sin has consequences that God doesn't allow us to escape. That's just the truth, right? But God's discipline on David was absolutely brutal. But the good news is God kept his promise to David. There's actually a saying about David's discipline that God dealt him. It actually says that God drug David sideways through, through hell. It's just a saying. 
David's entire family fell apart. His sons went to war against each other. His favorite son murdered his oldest son. And then his favorite general, Joab, murdered his favorite son. His kingdom was completely divided. He had to move out of his own palace while his son humiliated him in a way that you can't even imagine unless you read the story. But through all of the breakdown of David's life, listen, if you're here today and you just feel completely broke down, you haven't followed God for a long time and you just, you're at the end of your rope. Through all of the breakdown of David's life, listen, God never withdrew his promise. Even though the punishment was severe, his promise was firm and eternal. Listen, even though the punishment was severe, his promise was firm and eternal. To the point that 990 years later, this is so amazing, 990 years later, with all of that that we just talked about as the backdrop, embarrassing moments beyond comprehension, in spite of all that David did, Joseph, along with his pregnant wife, make their way to a little town called Bethlehem, where it all started with Jesse and his sons. Bethlehem became known as the city of David. There she gave birth to the great, 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 great grandson of David. And his name was Jesus, baby Jesus. Want to know why? Here's your message. Because God always keeps his promises. Now, if you're Matthew and you're a tax collector and you know what it means to be forgiven of sin, and you're about to tell the greatest story ever told of a Savior coming into the world and dying for all of our sins, and you're talking to a Jewish audience who holds David at the highest level possible, how can you skip this part? Because this is the story. This is the New Testament. God makes a promise, and he keeps his promise. Even though the most disgusting sin has been committed. When Jesus died on the cross, do you realize he shed his blood? It was the beginning of a promise to you, to all of mankind. So Matthew decides this is the perfect way to start out the story of Jesus, to throw in David and all his failures. The angel said it better than anyone in the book of Luke, and here's how Luke records it. Now, you've heard the Christmas story thousand, a thousand times, but I want you to listen to it in the light of what we just talked about. In the light of what you just hear, put on new ears, and I, and I don't know if you could ever read the Christmas story the same after this. In Luke 2, starting with verse 10. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. That includes you. To all the people. You are part of all the people. The good people, the bad people, the in-between people who haven't decided whether God's real or not. That's okay. The people that think they're better than other people. The people that don't think they have a chance to make it to heaven. The people that think their money gives them special privilege with God. And mostly the ones who think there's no hope for them. To all the people, I bring you good news. And here's the good news. Today, verse 11, today... That means it's for us today. Today, in the town of the sinner, the guy who messed up in ways that you will never mess up, in the town of David, here's what I hope for you today. For the rest of your life, every Christmas, I hope that when you hear the words, in the town of David, that it'll be a reminder of the promise that God made to David and to you, no matter what you've done. Look at the next two words. What's the next two words? 
after David. A Savior. In the town of a sinner, a Savior comes. A Savior has been born to you. He is the Christ, the Messiah, the Lord. Skip to verse 13. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel praising God and saying, now check this out in verse 14, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace to men. That means for every man on earth, that means men and women by the way, on every human being on earth, peace on whom his favor rests. So what did God promise you at Christmas time? Peace. You're right. That's his promise to you. That's his gift to you. Peace. Some of you walked in here today and you do not have peace about your life. You don't. But he promised you peace. So I want to help you with how to get that peace. The only way for you to have that peace with God is for God to remove the obstacle of that peace. Do you know what the obstacle is? Sin. And I'll add unforgiveness. Sin and unforgiveness. The only reason that some of you do not have peace with God is because you continue to negotiate your sin. You are still saying, well, I'm really not that bad. I mean, I'm not as bad as Angel. I'm not as bad as Carrie. I'm not as bad as my coworkers. I may not be as good as Paul, but I'm not as bad as so-and-so, right? I'm going to do better, I promise. Well, I was only 18 when it happened, and I didn't know, and my mom, I mean, look what she did to me. And if I was raised in a good home, I mean, I was raised in a bad home. And God, if you will do this, then I will do that. See, your whole relationship with God is based on negotiations and promise and promises of your sin. Which, you know, by the way, when you negotiate your sin, it usually takes you back into that sin over and over and over and over. Listen, you will never have peace while you're doing that, while living that way. The only way to have peace with God is to have your sin removed. So here's the message of Christmas. Jesus came to remove your sin so that you can have peace. Now, don't start telling me how bad you are because I really don't care. And I'm just going to start reading you a story about Matthew, the tax collector, and Tamar. And I'll remind you of Rahab, the prostitute who had a label. And I'll remember you of the story of Judah who sold his own brother into slavery to get rid of him because he was jealous. And I'll rem remind you of David who did things that you will never do. So please, don't tell me how bad you are. Listen, did the walls cave in when you came in here? You thought they would, but they didn't. If they're not going to cave in when Tommy and I are in here, they're not going to cave in when you come in. Right, Tommy? God loves Tommy and I. And he knows we're not perfect. But we're striving for it. Right, Tommy? Day by day. Here's the point. And it just went away. It's a good point. It's my main point. You can have peace with God in spite of you. You can have peace with God in spite of you. Please stop looking at yourself through your own lenses. Please stop looking at yourself through other people's lenses. 
and accept how God sees you. You can have peace with God in spite of you. So what if you sin? What if you sin then? Well, your sins may have consequences like it did for David. But the promise of Christmas is peace. But it will only come if you fully embrace the promise of the gift from God, which is forgiveness. And it's not through anything you do. It's just through Jesus. See, we have a hard time. We have an easy time asking God for forgiveness. Sometimes it's a little difficult, but it's a little bit easier to ask somebody else for forgiveness. We have a hard time forgiving ourselves. You're not going to have peace unless you do. So I want you to say another prayer with me as we end this week. If you are already a Christian, I want you to pray this out loud. If you would like to become a Christian, I want you to pray this out loud. If you are confused, but you like what you hear and you're just not sure how to get there, I want you to pray this out loud. If you are a person who is not religious and you say, Mark, if I'm honest, I've been counting all the light bulbs in church while you've been speaking. I can understand that too. Listen, I grew up in the church. You're not going to offend me. I'm unoffendable. So maybe this message is not for you today. That's okay. I would just encourage you to keep coming back until you get all your questions answered. Because God will answer them if you seek Him. But if you are here today and you say, you know what? I want what you're talking about. I need peace in my life. Pastor, it's true. Every time I come to God, all I can think about is my failure. All I can think about is my past. And I would like to put that away once and for all. The point of Christmas is that you can. Because God has already done the hard work. And listen, if David can be forgiven, if David can end up with a label like a man after God's own heart after what he did, and you haven't done half of what he's done, then you can have a label like righteous and forgiven and whole and peace. Right? I want to lead you into a prayer that will at least start you declaring that you've begun to believe. That's all I want to do. And we're all going to say it together. And hopefully one day it will move your mind into your heart. All right? So you ready? Let's pray this prayer together. Everybody close their eyes. I'm going to keep mine open so I can read this. I wrote it out, so I want to read this. It doesn't make it any less powerful, by the way. But let's just pray this together. You repeat after me. Heavenly Father, I believe that you are the great promise keeper. As you kept your promise with David, I believe that you will keep your promise to me to forgive me to accept me and to love me I will no longer come to you or avoid you based on what I have or haven't done instead I will come boldly because of what you have done for me through Christ Jesus, my Savior, and my peace. Amen. Hallelujah. That's what Christmas is all about. I want you to have peace. God wants you to have peace. Let's take out our connection cards. If you said that prayer for the first time, that's the little tear-off part on your, on your bulletin. If you said that prayer for the first time, Check box number one, that you just began a relationship with Jesus. If you, if you just renewed your relationship with God and you asked for forgiveness for the sin that allowed you to take away, you, took, took you away from his presence in the church, just, and you just renewed that, check box number two. Box number three is for those believers who just seem to be kind of stuck. 
And maybe you just need to ask God for forgiveness for not pursuing him with all of your heart. You can check that box. The only box we really look at is box number one, by the way, so we're not going to be looking at your name and lining it up. This is between you and God, but it's important for you to make a decision. And a lot of times when you read it and check a box, it helps you remember the decision that you made. To ask God for forgiveness for not pursuing him with all of your heart. And then the last one is for those who have been following Christ for some time. Maybe to ask God for forgiveness for not believing in all of his promises for you. Where are his promises listed, by the way, so that you know what they are? You have to read it, or you're not going to know what he's promised you. If you don't have one, we can get you one. If you have one and it's very difficult to read, come to us and talk to us, and we'll talk about getting you a different version that may be easier to read. But you have to read this, or you're going to be on your own promises. You're not going to know what He promises you, and you're going to be left to yourself when life crumbles, when you fall into sin. It's one reason why you're not forgiving yourself is because you don't understand forgiveness because you're not reading this. Please don't tithe to this church so that I can read it for you. That is not my job as a pastor is to read the Bible for you and tell you what it says. Because what if I misinterpret it? How are you going to know if you're not reading it yourself? I get challenged all the time for what I'm preaching up here. It's kind of fun. I love to debate. And if I make a mistake, I'll get back up the next week and apologize and ask you for forgiveness. Because I know I'm not perfect. Place those in the baskets on the way out, if you would. Thank you for participating in that. Father, we just thank you for the message and the story and the point of Christmas. Once again, Father, I, I hope we're learning from Velma's Diner, Lord, that as Christians we should not be looking down at people that are different than us, that don't get it yet, that have not embraced the story of Christmas. Help us to show the same mercy, grace, and forgiveness that you've shown to us. Help us to not lose our compassion and our love for others. Help us to, listen, I hope you're listening because it's Christmas. Help us that one relative that we're going to be sitting with this week at our family dinners that really annoys us, help us to show them love. And that may be just sitting next to them instead of avoiding sitting next to them. It may be just listening to their story instead of just trying to shove the Bible down their throat. It may just be a listening ear. It may be hugging them at the end of the dinner and saying, I love you. Do you know people are really shocked by that when you haven't said I love you in 15 years and all of a sudden you say it? They don't know what to do with it. Love wrecks them. It could be just as simply as saying, Uncle Jim, I love you. I do, I love you. And I'm sorry for being hard on you. I'm sorry for trying to change you. I realize now I'm not your Savior, Jesus is. I love you. It's the only thing that's going to get him away from his addiction is love. Father, we thank you for Matthew. We thank you that he started out the whole story this way to point out these shady characters because we can relate to one or some of these characters. And now we know, Father, that the promise is peace. The promise is forgiveness. If we just come to you and say, Father, I've sinned. And maybe even go to someone else and confess our sins so people can help us to not repeat it. Confession is huge. Confess it. Stop being ashamed. Be vulnerable. They're not going to be surprised you weren't perfect. Jesus wasn't surprised. That's why he went to the cross. He's never surprised. But he doesn't want you to live there. He wants you to live in peace with him and with others. 
So, in G- in, Father, we just say, thank you for the story of Christmas, Lord. Help us to remember this as we gather around the tree and open gifts and we gather around our tables and eat food. Help us to not forget what this is all about. In Jesus' name, amen. I love you guys. Merry Christmas. Jesus, Jesus, you make the darkness tremble. Jesus, 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 you make the darkness tremble. Jesus, Jesus, peace, bring it all. seconds so I'll switch this one on and we'll just say mommy talks Alex
Oh, 